there's such a small number of people that share the same experiences that we've had and it's like breaking into a train yard for example i mean there's 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 nothing like it um or or seeing your work roll past on a train um or getting on a train and and driving past um a trackside painting that you've made there's um there there with that like those were definitely fun times and uh I was chased many times but never caught and those were those were some funny stories but I think that it really got real um you it's especially I mean I can only talk as a as a young man because those are my experiences but I feel that it's a t- it's a typical young man thing that you have this it'll never happen to me attitude which is a very dangerous thing and some of the situations i put myself in when i was younger were mad hello and welcome to freelance pod my name's Chandrika chakrabarty and i'll be your host freelance pod is all about how the internet has revolutionized work each week i'll speak to someone working in a creative field and ask them how their industry has moved from an analogue to a digital age or how the internet has invented their job. If you like what we're talking about in the podcast, please do get involved on social. You can find Freelance Pod on Instagram as at FreelancePod, on Twitter as at Freelance underscore pod underscore. There's a Facebook group called Freelance Pod and you can also sign up for the newsletter. The URL is in the show notes. Don't forget that the success of this podcast relies on you, the listeners. If you do enjoy it, please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes. This means that other listeners will find out that this podcast exists and they'll come and join us too. So have we got a special episode of Freelance Pod for you? Yes, it is a crossover episode with one of the presenters of Creative Rebels. The Creative Rebels podcast has gone straight to number one in the business charts on iTunes. Um, It's been going for about a month, but they really burst onto the scene with a great first episode featuring Emma Gannon of Control-Alt-Delete. And I thought, well, why not speak to David Speed, who's one of the hosts, and see what he can tell me about making a podcast. So David is a graffiti artist. He's been painting graffiti since he was a teenager in the 90s. Graffiti itself has been gentrified and reinvented in the 20 years since, and it's now known as street art. So what David, um, Adam Brazier, who co-founded the company with him, and the other people they work with, what they do is they are paid by yoga studios and office spaces, and also brands who want to advertise with them. And they paint walls inside and outside um, with beautiful designs that people love to stop and stare at and take pictures with and put on Instagram. So one of the reasons for the success of the podcast, David thinks, is that they have a huge Instagram presence, um, about 40,000 followers, and he goes into a bit of detail about how they built that audience up. But I think more than anything else, it's the beauty of their images, some of which I've shared on the Freelance Pod Instagram and on the Twitter as well. David also at one point mentions a film called Style Wars. It's a 1983 documentary um, from New York City and it looks at graffiti artists and hip-hop and breakdancing, all in, all in one film. And it's on YouTube, I've put a link in the show notes. And it's just so delightful to go back and look at it. It's, there's something so nostalgic about all these subway cars covered in graffiti. It really makes you think of those classic New York set films from the 70s and 80s. 
And growing up in Hornchurch, um, where I'm from, which is northeast London, some say it's Essex, but it is the London Borough of Havering officially. You know, graffiti really livened up what was kind of just another suburb of London. Um, the district line goes through Hornchurch and, and over to Upminster where it terminates and it's above ground there. So you'd catch glimpses of graffiti from bridges and going under arches and it was always like a little secret, just something you'd noticed. It would always set my imagination going, like who did that? Why did they take the risk to get up there? What do they get from it? And I feel like graffiti always livened up the scenery. Um, so David himself, he grew up in South London and as he mentions, he used to go to Brighton quite a lot with um, with his crew and that's where he cut his graffiti artist teeth. Um, so really fun to speak to David and um, and yeah, let's see what he has to say. My name is David Speed. I'm a professional graffiti artist. I'm a speaker. I'm the host of the Creative Rebels podcast. <laughs> Um, what else do I do? A bunch of stuff. Um, but I think have fun every day is kind of the, that's what we try to do anyway, um, because I think that's the most important thing. Like happiness is the most important thing. So striving towards that and uh, yeah, just pushing it every day. So would you say artist is like your main job title plus, plus what? I, I suppose I'm best known for painting um, and graffiti life is nine years old now. So we've been going a long time and been and seen sort of a, a decent amount of success. Um, so that's been cool. Um, I, I think it's so hard to, I mean, we were talking earlier about Emma Gannon and her book, Multi-Hyphen Method, that's such a good way to describe people as a multi-hyphenate because we want to put people into boxes, but everyone does so much nowadays and everyone has a side hustle and a, and a passion project and, and everything. So. It's, I, I'm best known for creating artwork, I would imagine, but um, in the beginning, the artwork was definitely my passion, but now I've been intrigued by new things and like podcasting is obviously brand new to me, but something that I'm really, really enjoying. Um, speaking is pretty new for me. I've been, I mean, on and off all my life, I've been speaking here and there. Um, in different capacities but that's certainly something that I'm definitely on a journey with that I'm enjoying um, so yeah it's hard to it's hard to define um, art does make me happy it really does and I, I love painting and I love and I enjoy it but the whole reason that we set the company up wasn't so that I could paint every day the ethos behind graffiti life it exists to provide opportunities for other artists and creatives and i guess that's where i get my my kind of buzz from is is helping other creatives so everything that we've done since then you can kind of tie into that ethos because it's it's all been around helping other artists helping other creatives so by doing an advertising mural for whatever brand that allows us to pay the rent of like our staff of 15 artists that work here and project managers. So yeah, um, I, well, I, I still am deeply passionate about art, but um, my life is going in other directions and it's pulling me in other, and, I'm, and I think that's fine, like trying new stuff. If it pops up and you think, oh, this looks fun, like delve into it and see where it takes you. So certainly with the podcast, that's been something where I know that we can help a lot of creative people with it. And so that's why I've gone on to that. So it's very different from painting in the streets, but uh, it, 
they both do the same thing for me because they help creative people so so do you want to name the podcast and um it's done well it's only just been launched and yeah the podcast is called creative rebels um it launched at number one on the itunes business chart um which was amazing for us and then it pretty quickly got picked up by itunes and put on the new and noteworthy section um which obviously gave it another sort of boost um i think that we were quite we we planned out and we did we did have in our head that we did want a number one podcast um it's called creative rebels i broke the law for 10 years of my life painting illegally like i we've always done as a group we've always kind of done what we've been told that we can't do and when we looked into getting a podcast one of the well literally the day that i was start first started researching it went online how to start a podcast read a, some blog and then re- started reading the comments and the first comment was this guy who was saying there's no point starting a podcast now um it's an oversaturated market and if you don't have a big company behind you then um it's it's impossible and it's pointless you should quit now and i love hearing that i love hearing you can't do something so i so that's why we started i was like well we're definitely doing that and we're definitely going to make it work and i thought we want to reach as many people as possible so starting strong and getting to number one on itunes as soon as you can do that then in perpetuity you can say you're the number one podcast on itunes because it it's true that that did happen so um so that was always a goal um and then what we like to do with our goals is we set the goals and then we work backwards from the goal to work out the steps of how to get there um so with that we were like and i think as soon as you think we want to launch a number one podcast then it's like okay where well, it has to sound a certain way it has to look a certain way um for the the like the visuals that you're going to see on iTunes and all that sort of stuff it has to have a certain caliber of guests is these were all things that we had to consider so then you start reaching out and our episode 1 was Emma Gannon who was a that was a huge get for us and especially when i think it's so important that people should realize that like the art of asking because a lot of people would think Well, Emma Gannon's got this audience of thousands. She's had millions of downloads on her podcast. She's never going to come on my podcast because I've got zero audience. I've got no listeners. What can I offer to her? But all we offered her was the vision. And we were like, this is what we want to do with the podcast. She wrote it straight back and said, "Yeah, that sounds great. Let me know when." And it it was as easy as that. And we were sort of like, "Oh, okay. This is going to be a lot easier than we thought." So, we launched at number 1 by um basically influencer marketing i guess but i think influencer marketing as a term is i don't really like the connotations of that term i feel like influencer marketing is very transactional you contact an influencer you say here's my t-shirt or here's my cake put it on your instagram and i'll give you x amount of money um what we do is not that is influencer relationships which i think is so important so um we reached out to people who we thought were cool that we thought had an audience that might be interested in the message that we had to spread and we reached out to them and just kind of made friends with them rather than saying oh can you do something for me it's like what can we do for you and just gradually gradually over time meeting those people who will then if they like you and think that you're decent then they'll introduce you to other people so that once you get the ball rolling that kind of really starts to build a network of people around you and then when it came to launch day 
we added up the audiences of all of our friends and people that we knew would share and talk about the podcast. And the audiences came to 1.5 million people, which sounds like a lot, but then you've got to take into consideration the algorithm. So not 1.5 million people were seeing those posts. And then you've got to take into consideration people's apathy to get someone to actually do what you want them to do, which in this case was subscribe to or download or listen to a podcast that's going to greatly decrease the numbers of, of people who actually seen the message if they do actually manage to see it in the first place. So we knew it was going to be a challenge, but I mean, we love a challenge. So, so yeah, we launched it, had some amazing guests and it seems that the momentum now seems to be rolling pretty strong with it. So that's been great. Cause you can't be transactional with a podcast. Like I listened to the one with Emma um, earlier today and it's a real conversation. It's really unpacking like feelings and thoughts because for me, these jobs are very personal and there's a personal story as to why you got into this. And so you can't just be like, I do one thing for you, you do something for me. You have to click with them as well. It felt like you guys did click on that first episode. Yeah, I hope that we've clicked. I, I've not come out yet of an interview where I've been like, uh, or it's been awkward or anything like that. Mm, and I'm sure, I, I think I think just the numbers game, I think eventually you come ac- you're going to have to come across. Not if you're thinking someone. about their story because that's that's what I'm doing yeah. thinking about like what stories do they have do they kind of fit would they want to talk to me about these stories I guess so yeah yeah if you're choosing people that you know have something of value to offer I mean I guess a lot of guests so we're we're choosing guests who we think are gonna really help the people that listen to our podcast um people who want to like rebel against the nine to five is something that we've we've spoken about a lot and so we're talking to people who've, who've quit their day jobs, they're doing something fun for a living. And so we're not necessarily getting people on who are super used to being interviewed or have, or have preset questions. So we're, when they first sit down, they may be quite nervous. And that's something we've got to kind of get used to is, is they're not used to having a microphone shoved in their face and, and they have to deal with that. And then they're still processing. We're asking them a question and they're working it out in front of you which is quite interesting so um and i mean i'm not a, an expert interviewer i've done like 20 interviews now so it's still a learning process of i listen to them back and i'm like oh there was there was something there hanging in the air and i should have asked i should have pushed more on this or i should have asked another question but it's all a journey and it's all it's all fun i think the other thing about ours is we do them all in person and that's i think you can instantly build a rapport with someone if you meet them in person as opposed to over Skype or which I get because of of ease and the modern world that we live in and the fact that you can have Seth Godin on your podcast because he's in New York and you're in London and whatever. I, I get that. Um, but so far, all of ours have been in person. And I think that's been really important. And we'll have a chat before we sit down. We don't just roll straight into the interview so that the guests can feel used to you and 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 kind of talking about just establishing with them like this is what we want to get out of this interview this is and uh, which is about helping people and then as soon as people know that they're in the hot seat and their job is to then help the audience so they can then kind of start to formulate their their journey of what they've been through and be like well what did I learn along the way like I think the best way to learn is to sit someone down and be like this is what I did and this is what I learned. And that's the best, that's the best way mm. to conduct an interview, I think, of like 
when you're trying to inform people of, of someone's story and how their learning can help you in whatever it is you're trying to do. Yeah, that's kind of why I started this podcast. I'd, I'd gone freelance and I was having a bit of a bad day of it and wondering if I should go back into full-time work. And I thought, you know, how do other people do it? And how do I find out? And I feel like podcasting and just talking to people, um, you know, with the media industry, for instance, like a thousand jobs have been lost in the US in January, like all these layoffs. And there's a big, like, big narrative like that. But I feel like it's these conversations where people talk about what well, I felt like this and I thought I'd take this direction and possibly redundancy pushed them that way or possibly just getting a bit, bit bored of what they were doing and I think it's in the conversations that's what I'm really interested in um, I think I think it's really interesting that you're doing yours you want to do yours in person I agree that that's the best way if you can um, going back to like how you got into graffiti I feel like there's a kind of analogue to digital move that you're doing which is really interesting but like how how did you start doing graffiti did you get in with people who were doing it it's quite hard to start alone isn't it yeah so I I met someone who changed my life, um, and he he'll be a he'll be a guest. Um, we've interviewed his um, we've interviewed him, but it's not gone live yet. Um, but yeah, I met someone called Paul um, Paul Elliot, who took me under his wing and back. So I started painting graffiti in nineteen ninety nine. Um, was the first time I touched a spray can, and then properly sort of in the year two thousand was when I first started painting. And back then, it was kind of like a closed club. That you had to be invited into, um, you had to was know someone who in did London. It. Or? Yeah, so I I grew up um, sort of in South London, around mm-hmm. Croydon, that sort of area, um, and actually, I spent most of my time first learning in Brighton um, because it was the one place we knew that we could go to without getting nicked. So and we had to practice over and over again. We knew that to get better, and there was a, a legal area in Brighton. So. Um, and also back in, two, in the year 2000, you could jump the train really easily. There were no barriers at Brighton Station, which is mental. The fact that you could just hop on a train from East Croydon and then get all the way to Brighton and we'd, go, we'd have to go and hide in the toilets every now and then. Like those tiny tubercle toilets, me and Paul at 18 years old cuddling onto each other because we couldn't fit in this one toilet, um, waiting for the, the ticket guard to go past. I was young. Um, and so yeah, we'd hop the train to get to to get to Brighton, and and we'd paint up there. But um, but yeah, I, there was no. I mean, the internet existed, but it wasn't the platform that it is now. So um, I, through just chance circumstances, I basically we I was on a college trip to Amsterdam, and my tutor there weren't enough rooms, and my tutor said you're going to have to bunk with Paul, and I said oh don't put me in a room with him. He looks like a dickhead, and uh, and he said. He said, no, you'll really like Paul, he does graffiti. And I was like, oh my God, okay, instantly. So started talking to Paul and we got on like a house on fire straight away. We were into the same music, showed him my sketchbook and he was like, you should paint. And I was like, I was hoping you'd say that. So you were good at drawing, you always had a sketchbook going. Um, So I believe that there's no such thing as natural talent. Um, I think... I get stopped in the street a lot. So when you're when you're painting in the public, I, I think there's some artists who literally there's one street artist who puts up a sign saying, "Please don't disturb me. No pictures." Um, I think you owe it to the public if you're in the public space to any person who approaches you to at least have at least acknowledge them. So I have a lot of conversations in the street when I'm painting, and one thing that comes up over and over again is, "You're so talented." And which is beautiful, and I and I humbly accept that, and it's 
really nice that people say that. But I, if I'm feeling fruity, then I'll say there's no such thing as talent and get on, I'll get into it. But I don't really do it because I know people think it's super weird because they're like, they, they can't comprehend it. But literally when I first started painting, I sucked. I was absolutely rubbish. I, I just was obsessed with it. So I did it over and over and over and over again till I got good. Um, I got a C for GCSE art. I was never gifted. I mean, what is GCSE art though as well? Like how can you encompass all artistic styles? Yeah, I mean... That's mad, isn't art- it? Art schooling never was never something that I enjoyed, and again, the the rebellious side, they were asking me to to do things in a certain medium, and I just wanted to use pencil. When I was sixteen, that was all I wanted to do. I just wanted to draw in pencil, and so I did my everything. I did was draw in pencil, and I got bad marks because I didn't tick their boxes of experimenting with different media. Now being older, I, I understand why they wanted me to experiment with different media, and maybe I would have fallen in love with charcoal drawing or whatever. But at the time, I was like, this is this is my art style. I want to draw in pencil. That's what I want to do. It's art. You can't tell me what's right and wrong. Also, if that was the trajectory you were on, like learning to, to do that well, it seems really strange to then put you out of that and make you yeah. use another and instrument. That's 100% to what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then when I, I studied art at university as well, and uh, I wanted to use spray paint, and they said, that's your comfort zone. You need to get out of your comfort zone. Um, mm. So, so yeah, I, I never really got on with... with being taught art, um, so I would never say I was I was good, but I I enjoyed sketching and I I so I, and I used to draw like um, comic book characters. So within within art, if you're drawing like comic book stuff, it's never seen as as give it's not given much value. But um, to a to another eighteen year old boy who's well into hip hop and all of the and like break dancing and all of the stupid stuff that we were into at that time. Um, opening a, a sketchbook full of like b-boy characters and weird stuff going on like Paul thought it was cool so he taught me into well he took me under his wing um and and we started painting and then I got completely like sucked into that subculture and spent the next sort of 10 years um painting around London we painted in Brighton for a while um and then it was yeah it was just getting too much of a journey and we started painting locally around us around South London um, and then we started so there were various legal areas around London but gradually bit by bit they were being shut down by local authorities and street art the term didn't exist it, graffiti was this underground kind of thing that wasn't respected and wasn't enjoyed it was, it was a sign of urban decay apparently yeah. like the broken window broken window theory yeah um, so the broken window theory being that that if um, graffiti is in an area, then it must be a poor area and it must be a dangerous area. I've never believed that. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think that exists anymore because I think people realise that street art enriches an area. And actually, I mean, certainly we're in Shoreditch at the moment and any, I mean, it's part of, part of Shoreditch is the graffiti and the street art. It's why people visit it daily. Um, it's to get photos of themselves posted, posed in front of street art. No one would have taken photos in front of graffiti like... Um, in the early 2000s it just wasn't seen in that way it's really interesting what you say about people stopping to speak to in the street because for me in the 80s and 90s graffiti was on the railways mm. and so so I I concluded oh people have to be hidden because they did because they didn't want to get caught so it's something about being hidden as an artist that made it possible but the art itself was really if you're in the right place at the right time on the train it was really obvious yeah that was something that I had to come to terms with was Previously, I had always hidden in the shadows, created my work at night, and then people would find it the next day. 
However, as soon as I started the company and going legit, um, I was then out in the in public, and and then you have to yeah, then you have to deal with people. Um, so that was yeah, that was definitely a learning curve for me. It's not often that someone making art has spectators while they're making it. That's probably the only medium. Yeah, can't think of another one. So when do you think the tide was turning? I think the rise of Banksy did coincide with everywhere becoming illegal for graffiti 100%, 100%. yeah 100% what was that like for you so Banksy did so much um, in terms of just changing everything um, most graffiti artists that you talk to don't have much good to say about Banksy um, I guess because it's oh, let me think of an analogy um, It would be like the the kind of manufactured pop band. It would be like One Direction or whatever. It would be the the kind of super trendy thing that's super popular, and because it's so popular, everyone else kind of rejects it. I mean, it's such a specific style with stencil as well. Yeah, I, I think a lot of graffiti artists kind of are against that as well because of the fact that it's easy because it's a stencil I, I say easy in inverted commas because there, there is still skill to stenciling um, I mean I know Banksy put on his website at one point I remember reading a quote from him that was that was like I don't know why you guys all get so excited over my work anyone can do this which is true like anyone can create a stencil um, and then paint it in the streets I mean that is possible for any one person to do um, I think he caught fire because of the ideas um, less than the the artistic skill that went into making his work, but um, so so there's a lot of people who are Banksy detractors. Um, but for me, I always say I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for Banksy because he was the one that got the public. It's like I'll try a little bit of this, and then if that piques your interest, then you can explore more. And all of a sudden, it opened people's eyes to they buy a coffee table book on street art. Banksy would be on the front cover, which would get the book sold, and then they'd open it, and then they'd be like, oh, who's this? Oh, Deface, oh, Faffy, or oh, all of these artists. And it, it kind of opened people's eyes to, oh, there's more to this than, than just A, vandalism, and B, Banksy's work. He was like the serial for, of podcasting, in a way. He kind yeah. of legitimised, well, legitimised would depend on where you stand, if you were already a graffiti artist, or if you were the unsuspecting public. Yeah. Because then a lot of graffiti artists reject it because they've always had the opinion of this is not for you. This is our thing. This is a, a underground subculture. There's a movie called Style Wars and, and one of the main characters in that scheme, I say characters, I mean he's a, a real guy, but scheme, um, one of his quotes is, he, it's such a wonderful scene, he's having an argument with his mum. He's 16 and his mum's like, I don't know why you do this stupid graffiti and he's... And, uh, like she's like people don't care about this and he goes they're not for people it's for me and other graffiti writers and and so their their tags would be written in a way so that only they could understand it only they could read it because it wasn't for public consumption it was for the other for the other writers i understand that but i mean we're in 2019 now and we're in a completely different world and and yeah i mean i i create commercial um paintings like we we use spray cans to create adverts and advertising for for big brands um but my as as i said at the beginning like my goal 
for the company was always to create opportunities for artists and advertising happens to be like a huge way that we can do that. Um, I think I've understood that these adverts are happening whether you like it or not. They're, they're going up. So I'd rather that they're created by hand so that when you can look at them, you can actually appreciate something beautiful with them, no matter what it is that the message of the, whatever product it is they want you to buy. At least you can look at it and say, oh, that's been created with care and, and someone's hands, which I think is a beautiful thing. And also the fact that this going up is allowing artists to pursue their creative careers, which I think is really important. And to get paid, because this is the constant kind of, London is expensive. Um, if we want to live here, we do have to get paid. Again, it strikes me like podcasting, advertising, unlike any other kind, it's often read by the host, so it's kind of got the same texture as the rest of the podcast in the way that graffiti style advertising will have the style of the artist. Yeah, I think that um, definitely with, with podcasting, it's um, I don't think people resent it Yeah, because they understand you've got, you've got to edit this thing You've got to you've got to upload. You've got to pay for hosting. Like it's it's not like you've got to buy all your mics, all of your equipment. Like yeah. it's not it's not free to do a podcast. And then and then the time commitment. It is, yeah. It's a lot of time. Yeah. I agree, but I like editing because I like the story. I like to build the story. It depends on the interview. Again, what you said about warming up with some people, there's just more warming up. That's fine. And so I I won't start with the can you tell me your name and what you do. I save that and I. But I felt we were fine. I felt like you'd be like, yeah, this is yeah. fine. But for some people, I try and make it more like a chat and leave that stuff to the end because that reminds you this is an interview. And then that means I have to restructure it. So it just depends on the person. Yeah, you've smart. been doing this, you seem fine. And I've just been interviewing people for a long time as a journalist. All, all it takes with interviewing is, I think it helps if you're curious and you you always have questions. But practice, so you just feel more relaxed each time. Yeah. You go with, I've got a few things. So I've read like stuff about your story, looked you up. But to be honest, who knows where this will go? And actually what I've been thinking while even speaking about graffiti is part of it, part of those teenage boys going, mum, like... I make this art not necessarily for the public. Isn't it that adrenaline and the ducking and diving is a huge part of it? And that's to do with age. What What is it like making the graffiti kind of in a legit way then? Did you feel a bit disappointed or did you feel like I'm glad graffiti is getting its time in the sun? That's such a good question. It's so, so complex as well. It is really complex. Um, and I would be a liar if I, if I said that I didn't miss those mad days because they were fucking mad. and they're bonding as well like you're bonding with your new yeah. friends at the pool and with the gang yeah yeah I think there's there's such a small number of people that share the same experiences that we've had and it's like breaking into a train yard for example I mean there's 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 nothing like it um or or seeing your work roll past on a train um, or getting on a train and, and driving past um, a trackside painting that you've made. There's, um, there, there were that, like, those were definitely fun times and uh, I was chased many times but never caught and those were, those were some funny stories. But I think that it really got real. Um, you, it's especially... I mean, I can only talk as a as a young man because those are my experiences. But I feel that it's a t it's a typical young man thing that you have this "it'll never happen to me" attitude, which is a very dangerous thing. And 
some of the situations I put myself in when I was younger were mad and I remember being um, just outside Clapham Junction and as the trains were rolling by like literally feeling my clothing being like sucked towards the train like you can feel this pull um, and and artists have died from from being in a in a place where um, they've been like sucked into the path of the train I've and I felt that before I've walked down the tracks and I've felt um, small electric shocks jump off of the third rail onto my legs before I've I mean, one of the most ridiculous things I did was at Bright in Brighton, um, just outside the train uh, the train station in Brighton. I think there's five lines to, to, that come into the station. Um, I remember me and a couple of other um, vandals jumping over those um, five tracks, but it was the middle of the day, so there was full train service because normally you paint at night when the trains aren't running. There's full train service and there were, um, but these were the lengths that we went to in order to create our art. And express yourself. Yeah, we thought we were doing something really important, however misguided it was. Um, we never labelled ourselves at that time as vandals or we, we didn't think we were doing anything destructive. Um, we were creating artwork and we thought it was important and we thought that people should see that we were, and I guess that's another young man thing of... of um, we were searching for our identities. I'm still, I'm still processing all of this, and probably will be for many years. So I, I, I don't know exactly where I stand on it, but um, I mean, I can't go back and change anything. So I just have to roll with with what I've been given. I'm really nostalgic for it. So I grew up in Hornchurch, which is um, Essex, London, just about in London, and it's got the district line. It's above ground, and I'm really nostalgic for those days of the graffiti. I liked it. I liked that there was something someone had gone and lived this entire other life and gone and made it because I was a kid then so I liked mm. it and all of this stuff had happened in the night without anyone knowing and something had been created yes yeah, it's, it's quite romantic isn't it yeah, yeah. but yeah so I so I was definitely I definitely was putting myself into these mad situations but there came a time where I was watching a lot of peers be sent to prison for for, for this and and I mean, I mean, that's a whole other conversation because I, I, I feel like we should have been given community service. We should be asked that's to, to clean much. it up. But, yeah. I mean, we're being put in the same cells as murders, rapists. Exactly. And, um, and also at that, at that time, um, I mean, definitely like 2006, 2007, when people were really being sent down for graffiti because there was such a like, purge on it. Um, I remember reading stories of where there was one judge who sent an artist down um, for longer than the day before he'd sent a rapist down. And and to me, that, that just didn't compute. So, um, so it started to get really real and I started to sort of see the repercussions of you're only bulletproof for a certain amount of time and at some point this is going to bite. And I, I, so that started to worry me. Um, and whilst whilst they're all my mates are getting sent to prison, I'm I'm sort of thinking, I I don't want a nine to five. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of looking at. I was working a part time retail job, and I was looking at the guys who were in full time retail, and how they never seemed to leave, and how there were people in their forties and fifties working in retail, 
who were going up to like manager positions and I just thought this is not this is not what I want um, and so in 2010 was when we first set up Graffiti Live and so to bring it back around because you, your original question was getting the buzz from um, I had to so I no longer was able to get because I couldn't carry on painting illegally and run the company because I would have been made like so there's there was one artist who worked um for on the East Enders set and did the graffiti for the East Enders set and then he was arrested um and he was given quite a large sentence. I think he got a four year sentence. And and for him it was such a massive news story. And I thought if I get caught painting somewhere I shouldn't be, then and I run a graffiti company, then that's a news story waiting to write itself and, and that would destroy the business and, and you start to have the the more responsibilities you have and the more you have other people relying on you, um, the more you have to sort of yeah, start to I hate to say it, start to grow up. God, I don't want to ever grow up. But um but yeah, so I started to, to take things more seriously and then I found that I got so much more reward from because graffiti was such a like a small closed thing. I was just painting for for the other writers and I wanted to become like it's called getting up like uh, having a name like say, like I wanted to get to this stage where sort of everyone knew who I was and when I once I got to that stage it wasn't rewarding and mostly you got jealousy from people who weren't at that stage which I d- totally didn't see coming I thought you reached this golden pinnacle of everyone knows your tag and knows who you are and then the, and and that's the you're quite isolated in the end actually you think you'll be yeah. popular you think it'll add to any popularity you have but it ends up people envying you yeah quite isolated. it was yeah. horrible didn't really didn't Hell enjoy it, it. and then when we started making i guess street art for the for public consumption it was like oh wow this is great people are so positive about this whereas like trying trying to get props from other graffiti writers is impossible but the public are like that's dope I love it so all of a sudden we were getting like instant feedback on what we were doing we weren't hiding in the shadows anymore we were putting it out front and so you're getting that instant feedback people walking by feeling what you're doing and so that that was rewarding and then I mean so we've got a a graffiti life we've got an apprenticeship scheme and so we've had three apprentices come through here who we've taught to spray paint from scratch so they don't need any experience just a real interest they need to be good painters because I can't teach you how to paint but I can teach you how to use a spray can if you can already paint then okay so with, with brushes the, yeah okay yeah. so That's we've taken a few amazing brush painters um, and turned them into um, spray painters so that's that's been a real and like the reward from that because I was training to be a primary school teacher so whilst I was running down the tracks at night I, during the day I was really tired and telling the kids to behave and like living a weird double life so for me that was always there I always loved doing that I always loved like helping people um, my, my parents are foster carers so I've always like grown up around kids and it was kind of always it was always the underlying thing of like oh David will be a teacher when he, when he grows up like that was always the thing so I thought that was the path that I was supposed to be on and then when we started taking on apprentices it's like oh there's, there's that thing that kind of itch that I had and that was a really good way to like work on that so it's willing to nurture people yeah yeah and I got I get more from nurturing yeah. a, a young artist than I ever will from like 
putting myself in extreme danger hanging off the edge of a cliff or something like that because that was fun at the time but it, it's a it's a fun instant adrenaline high as opposed to like this sustained I guess level of happiness I guess it's happiness of, of giving back helping and being a part of someone's journey and, and creating with them is, is like that's that's just really beautiful for me so so to answer your question, after about twenty minutes, it was uh, a big question. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where I get my kicks, and that, and it's ultimately been more fulfilling and more rewarding. I feel like now you have urban explorers that those kids who go to the top of these skyscrapers, but they do it for the digital appreciation. They might get some initial feedback from people around, but they're doing it for a really big audience. But part of what graffiti was was doing it for a tiny audience and, and nothing more. Yeah, I think even with the Urbex guys, though, there's there's little underground forums that where they're all kind of... I don't think all of them are doing it just for the No, Instagram you're right. Likes. Those are the ones that make the headlines when something mm. terrible happens, yeah. 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 Such an interesting area. I, I always liked the idea of graffiti. Obviously, I wouldn't be doing anything I wasn't in that world, but I liked seeing it because I like to think what the world is like behind it. Um, but you have to leave it behind at some point. It is really dangerous. Plus, the law was starting to go... Um, we've kind of done everything we can with drugs. Let's find this and criminalise it because those are insane sentences. There's no need for those. Um, so for you, was it a case of right? Except this company, there are lots of walls that are being made available to us that are legal. That were councils kind of offering up walls and saying, can "God, you? no, I wish." <laughs> it's still like the hardest part of our job is finding walls. So how does it work then? How how did you decide to set up the company? And did you know there would be a supply of canvases? I suppose no, no. So. Day one of the company um, is me and a friend of mine on Croydon High Street with an easel and a canvas drawing. And at the time, I really didn't want to go and I kicked and screamed and, and I said, oh, come on, we're not going to, like, this is not the way to start a company. But well, we didn't know any other way. We had to get, you have to get attention in order to start anything. You have to have attention on you. And so we we so we did it we took the canvas started drawing and handing out these crap business cards that we'd made and we got one job from that and that was the first domino and then you just from that job you get another job and and you use it to build up your portfolio and then you start contacting people and say oh we've just it was a it was a little yoga studio we did and so that then was out oh we've just done this yoga studio how would you like us to do your dance studio or whatever um, and we just yeah move on try try and, and it just gradually grew bit by bit from there um, did you know to document your work because obviously with the graffiti you completely wouldn't document it it's almost the adrenaline and then the memory of it and the, and the friendships but with this it's like we need a website and we need to put pictures of the yoga studio or was that always there from the start so I, I did document my um, illegal stuff I just didn't used to keep it in my house um, because if you if you catch a raid then and you've got a photo book then they'll they'll do you for every single thing in the book so people would hide them they would wow. but, it, but it but even then that's not a hundred percent effective because the british transport police build a portfolio on every single artist so um they'll start to i mean they're graph nerds they they know who's who and they'll go around taking photos of every single piece and then they'll put that into your portfolio um, the guy I mentioned earlier, the EastEnders um, set designer who got sent down for four years, the way that they got him such a, a harsh sentence was 
there was this particular train yard that they knew him and his crew were painting in. They knew that they were there most like most nights. Um, they let them they let them do it because they were building this portfolio on them. So they could have arrested them night one. But instead of doing that, they let them keep on going. And I, I mean, I don't know whether this was brought up in court, but I, it seems like it shouldn't be allowed. It's almost like we don't like you're a serial killer, well, but we know and we know you're doing it, but we're not going to stop you because we want to do you for the most amount of time. We want to give you the death penalty. It was like that. So they were building up these portfolios because they knew these guys were hitting the same spots over and over again, and they were just collecting enough information. Um, and I read somewhere that the court case cost more money than the than the claimed vandalism. So to the taxpayer, the court case was more expensive than the than the vandalism that the guys had, had It's uh, a caused. political move then at the end of the day, really, isn't it? It's like I don't know. It's got to be something deeper. There's, there's probably something to do with money and it's something mm. to do with jobs and, and vote winning and all of that sort of stuff. But... Um, but yeah, I, I digress. Um, what was the question? Digression is always really good. I love digression. <laughs> Those are the best bits because someone is telling you something about themselves and their story, which is really good. Um, you were talking about start, starting it in Croydon that day. So you, you had the yoga studio. Yeah. And yeah, did you know you had to document it digitally, I suppose? That's right, yeah. So, um, so straight away, um, yeah, we knew that the internet was changing things. Um, this is 2010. So um, we got on Twitter Um we set up a website um, and we knew that an easier way of marketing than standing with a canvas was going to be through the internet. However, when you first start a website, you're not indexed on Google and it's impossible for people to find you. So we had a good, like, I don't know, three or four months of building content in order to kick off SEO. And I mean, we weren't business people, so we had to learn what is SEO. I mean, just reading business blogs, um, using using the internet to learn how we could use the internet. And that, that was it. So, um, and I mean, initially our first website, a lot of it was photos of our paintings in, in legal areas because it was the only content we had. Um, and it, we contacted every single artist that we were friends with and said, do you mind if we use your stuff on our website? Because we've got, we've got to fill it with content somehow. Um, so a lot of them were just, just like letter pieces in, in halls of fame around the country. But I mean, we didn't put anything illegal on there, obviously, but um, they're just legal walls that people have painted because we had to have, we had to have something. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was all about content and it still is. I mean, our, mm-hmm. our website still has to be updated regularly and, and fed, you have to feed the content beast. One post probably takes at minimum a day and probably two or three days to paint a masterpiece and then that's one Instagram post that you see in your feed for three seconds you double tap it and then you move on and that's in a way is heartbreaking humans are attracted to fear mm. I think um, so there's there's uh, Time magazine mm. realised that I think it was in the 50s or 60s it realised as soon as it started changing its headlines to negative it sold more papers mm. and so the reason that we're surrounded by so much negativity is yes. because we buy it and if oh, we didn't absolutely. buy it if we bought positivity everything would be roses I promise you I haven't, haven't been jealous for 13 years it is like bad news itself and I think it was Ted Hughes who said like the worst times are the best to remember weirdly 
because they imprint themselves very strongly on your brain often art comes out of the worst times yeah we recorded an episode today and uh, we were talking to a guest about that and we look back on our the days when we started up the company when we literally had nothing we were in this old garage in south norwood it was freezing cold we're like huddled around a, an oil radiator eating super noodles and just cold and depressed and we look back on those times like going out on these on these jobs like we were getting like 100 quid that we had to split three ways i mean like literally getting paid nothing um, and a lot of stuff we were doing for free because we were just building our portfolio building our social proof building our brand networking and those times i mean it's great now people see this this big studio and they see our all of our instagram followers and they see all the clients that we're working for and they just go oh wow it's like it's amazing and it is it's it's absolutely beautiful but what they don't see is all of everything that went into it i mean we're we're nine years old like if you're if you're committed to building something and you put nine years into it you can't fail but to build something and we look back on those times where we would we would take trains to the middle of nowhere to work on these jobs i mean me and adam we used to um for our for our lunches we'd go out we'd buy a tub of philadelphia and a french stick and share it between us because that would be like about three quid um and so yes yeah, so, and i mean literally just dry bread just dunk it into the philadelphia that was our lunch and that was our lunch for a year year and a half in the beginning just going out painting these jobs and we couldn't we couldn't afford to eat so we had just had to buy this cheap stuff look i mean at the time horrible look back on that now like what an amazing time that was yeah when when you are really creative and in the flow you kind of don't want to stop to eat and it's really annoying to stop to eat so there's kind of slightly that but there is something about the times you sell close to the wind and you took risks at the time, it's almost too much to really take in. And you don't know if it's going to work. That's the thing. But if it does work and when it does work, you get a bit comfortable and you kind of go, oh, I miss, I miss that time when I didn't know if it would work. I think comfort is the, the worst thing for a creative. I think it's the thing that holds a lot of people back. And I think that once the bills are paid, that's, a, that's the place where a lot of people just get stuck because this job pays this rent and I have this much for food and I have this much for travel and I get my mobile phone bill paid and so I am comfortable and so I don't you don't when you're comfortable you don't need to do anything more because Mm. the hierarchy of needs you've got shelter you've got food like everything is taken care of so at that stage what why push yourself and but it's the people who do push themselves past the comfort that that really sort of start to achieve things and become more i think do you think that matters more than natural talent then almost it's tenacity but i'd also call it there's you can't it's just an urge really isn't it you're like i have this energy to go and create something i can't really stop it i have to satisfy it by at least trying it may or may not succeed that's by the by but i've got to go do it do you think that's more important than natural talent i think action trumps everything and natural talent is something that people use as an excuse to let themselves off the hook of, oh, I wasn't born a, a good painter or I wasn't born... Like, and they look at other people and they say, oh, yeah, but they were born with it. That, by saying that, that allows them to not try. But the ones that do try and go, I suck at this and 
they beat themselves up and they follow people on Instagram who are the experts in their field and they compare themselves. I mean, there's that saying, comparison is the thief of joy, which is so, is so accurate. And it's really hard because you can't control other people's reactions to your work. I think putting out your content, I hope that our content inspires people. Yeah. And the whole, I guess the whole message behind our podcast and, and yours as well is you can do this. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, you know, also, it's really similar, I think, asking other people how they've done it. And you can't do exactly what someone else has done because it's really particular to your personality and your history, but... But you can learn from everyone. Yeah, just letting you just percolate. It's just action, action over everything. People are just held back, of, of, and if you don't take action, then nothing can happen. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Yeah, and I've realised since going freelance, if you don't put the work out there, no one knows if you can do it or not. You can't blame them for that. Yeah. You've just got to do it and see what happens. I've got three followers on Medium. Three followers. I think it's more than me. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm posting there regularly and long articles, like a thousand words e- each time. I'm not yet a... I'm not a fast writer, but it's a journey. I have to keep going. It's, I've, I've got three followers. What a great start. I have to... And it's reaching out and, and producing and producing and producing. So um, I'm not going to measure my success by the, by the metrics. But then I think in order to be successful, you have to be able to hold two competing ideas in your head. So whilst I'm happy with my three followers, I also want to impact as many people as possible. So I hope that eventually my medium takes off and I can impact a lot more people. So it's, it's a dance, it's a balance, but it's action over everything because if I don't post the articles on Medium then I definitely won't help anyone that's the thing isn't it um, the fear fear and self-belief I think is often what separates someone who's had a career with creative successes in it and someone who wishes they had and you've got to take yourself over that line there's nothing anyone else can do if your content's good then you'll find an audience for it people share what they like yeah and I think that a recommendation from a, from a friend is really, really powerful. It's our one call to, act, to action at the end of our podcast is if you enjoyed this or you think that you know someone who might benefit from listening to this, please share this with them. People like to feel cool. They like to know. So them then going, listen to this, this will really help you, makes them the nice person, makes them look cool because they've found something cool and they've shared it with Definitely, you. Definitely, yeah. So... I think just rely on that currency and yes there are a a lot of podcasts but I can't remember the stat of people that don't listen to podcasts I think oh I think it was in the um in the Emma Gannon episode she was saying one in four people in the UK do listen to 75% of the population don't yeah and also growth market I mean how can there be too many podcasts no I, I think discovery is is tricky um but someone said there are like 600,000 podcasts on Apple at the moment. How many books and films and songs are there? Yeah. And it doesn't really matter how many there are because you have the internet. It's actually easier to find them and, and to try try an album out. And yeah. I, I think we live in an amazing age. And we've lived through a change from analogue to digital, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Even if you fail spectacularly publicly in front of everyone, um, the next day they've moved on. And it's and and then you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, and you carry on going. Um, I think that the creative industries are the most important 
I mean, for our economy, they're absolutely huge. There's, it's an untapped market that people don't enter because they don't have the confidence in themselves. Um, because we, as artists, the stereotypical artist, like in the 1980s, if you made a film and you wanted to depict someone as a loser, like the loser boyfriend would be this like, oh, I'm an artist. And we have, it's part of the lexicon, the starving artist. It really annoys me. There's no reason why you should be a starving artist. A lot of artists will focus on the craft and they don't focus on the marketing. And you have to understand that with any creativity, with any art and using art in its broadest sense, if you're a writer, if you're a poet, if you're a singer, whatever it is that you do that is creative, that is your art. And your art is one half and the marketing of your art is the other half. And it's really important and it's a skill and it's something you need to build a tribe of people around you. There is a tribe for every single person and we think that there isn't. And when we have no social proof because we only have 10 followers, that's when it comes back to what I was talking about earlier of just grabbing one person at a time. And you do that by creating relationships with people and delivering value to them in whatever way that may be, whatever your gift is, because we all have something that we're good at that we can, and even if you don't, you can get good at anything. You can get good at anything. You've just got to try it, practice it, and do it over and over again. So it all comes down to mindset. I think tactically, everything is on Google. If you want to learn how to, I mean, because I, I tested this the other day because I thought, I wonder if that's true. Um, I Googled how to launch a number one podcast. There's like five or six blogs with step-by-step people who have done it. And, and I'll write a post on it as well um, to, to add to that as well. But I think, we like reading these things of tactically how, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to action and mindset. If you believe that you can do something, because if you don't believe that you can do it, you will never, you'll never do it. So you have to conquer that. You have to conquer your, your fear, get over that, and then, and then you'll, you'll fly. And it's a, it's a long process. I, I, I logged onto Instagram this morning and I saw there's this artist that I follow. He posted, just reached 10K followers. It's only taken me three years. Can't believe it. Thank you guys so much. And I love the way he framed it because if, if for most people, if you pick them up and you say, how many followers do you want on Instagram? And that like 10K is the first big one you hit because you're able to do swipe up stories at that point. It's kind of a big deal. And you have a K next to your name, which is lovely, like 10K. That's beautiful. So a lot of people, that's a big goal for them. So they're going, yeah, I want to get reached 10K. If you then say to them, that's going to take you three years of hard work. Most people will go, I can't three years and it will be a negative thing for them I haven't got three years you've got the whole rest of your life ahead of you three years is a relatively small amount of time to focus on one thing and do it well and one thing through interviewing our guests that we've started to notice is three years is actually a magic number Mm. if you do something for three years Mm. over and over again it seems to be that that's the point where things start to happen Mm. certainly in our business three years was like okay, we can pay the rent now. Like three years was, we're established now. We've got a decent following. We've got inquiries coming into the inbox on a regular basis. And we were starting to establish ourselves. Three is the magic number. And I think that if people can commit to themselves of Google how to do it, that'll show you what you're doing. And then once you know what you're doing, just putting it into action, fighting off our human need to relax and watch Netflix and whatever it is like whatever it is that makes us comfortable 
get out of that comfort put yourself in a situation where this is hard work it's it's boring because i mean our phones are designed for this dopamine hit they're enjoyable and then all of a sudden when you start putting the work in and you're you're researching the top hashtags in your niche and you're then commenting on all of those top hashtags and you're doing the Gary V um, uh, was it $1.80 strategy Google that's really important and you're doing that all of a sudden you're not getting any joy from being on Instagram or being on a social network because you're working and if you can push through that and keep going and you can do it for three years which is a long time then I guarantee you things will start to happen that's a really long answer to your short question that you asked me but I passionately believe in it so yeah tenacity self-belief action more than anything else don't just imagine how perfect it would be it would be imperfect but it's better when it's real yeah and it might change this is the thing like mm-hmm. a lot of people have a vision for what how it's going to be and be prepared that what it ends up being might be something totally different i don't know where podcasting is going to take us our podcast has been out for a month but already we've been asked to do um a live like live sessions in the apple store like already things are coming through like who like in three years time if we can commit to consistently putting out content for the next three years who knows where that'll take us i mean i'm I want to get booked on Joe Rogan's podcast. Like, I mean, big goals, set big audacious goals and, and trying to f- fulfill them. Because even if you don't get to them, the journey is fucking fun. Yeah. Well, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have done? Oh, God, no, I don't know. Um, if if I can help anyone, then reach out to me. Um, I'm at David Speed UK on Twitter. And, um, yeah, Creative Rebels podcast. Um what are you guys on Instagram which which is the main one we are for the podcast we're at Rebels Create and for Graffiti Life we're at Graffiti underscore Life and uh, yeah we'll keep making stuff as long as you guys keep enjoying it so thanks to David Speed for giving me his time and talking to me about graffiti and Instagram and about how the Creative Rebels podcast got off to such a great start Well, that's it for another episode of Freelance Pod. If you enjoyed what we talked about in this episode, please do get involved on social. You can find Freelance Pod on Instagram as at Freelance Pod. On Twitter is at Freelance underscore pod underscore. There's a Facebook group called Freelance Pod. And you can also sign up for the newsletter. The URL is in the show notes. Don't forget that the success of this podcast relies on you, the listeners. If you do enjoy it, please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes. This means that other listeners will find out that this podcast exists and they'll come and join us too. That's it for now. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye.